Good morning and welcome everybody. I'm so glad that you decided to join us for Church Online. Uh, we're so excited about our Church Online campus and we're thankful that you are a part of Summit Church. And we just want to encourage you that right now if you have, you know, I know we've already had worship and we've taken communion together and it's been a beautiful experience already, but as we get into the Word, if you haven't already, I would highly encourage you to share this worship experience with someone else there uh, as you're online just share it with friends or tag friends or let people know because I really believe that you even though uh, you're at the online campus I really believe you can ex you know expand the influence of Summit Church I believe that you can reach other people for the gospel of Jesus Christ just simply by pushing the share button by hitting the like button by uh, you know just commenting and uh, when, when the Word speaks to you, just getting involved in the process. So I want to say thank you so much for being a part of the church. And if you're new with us today, thank you so much. And you can see on the screen uh, what to do. But just connect with us so that we can serve you better, so that we can connect. Here at Summit, we're about relationship, we're about connection, we're about family. And so we want you to be a part. We want to be able to serve you in that way. So thank you again so much for being a part of our online campus. And just want to encourage you to receive the word this morning and we're going to continue actually this is the last installment of our series my house and uh, I, I know in studying for this and and uh, teaching this man it really has ministered to me it really has spoken to my heart it has effectively changed some things in my life just just some perspectives and maybe some the ways I do things in, in terms of a husband and a, and a, a parent because we believe in family here at Summit Church. One of our values is inspiring hope for family in today's culture. And we know and we're aware that our culture is very hard on family. And there's some direct attack on family and there's some indirect effect on family just because the culture is the way that it is. And so what we're saying is let's not be defeated by that or overcome by that or overwhelmed by that, but let's develop that Christ-centered culture in our family that then influences and affects the world. You know, if culture can change one way, it can change another. And so I just want to encourage you to be bold and be strong. And today we're going to talk about something really positive. We're going to talk about hope. So this last message in this series, My House, I want to talk to you around the subject of hope for family. And we'll read our text today. It's Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. And we're reading out of the NIV. As you see it go up on the screen, read along with me. And let's just hear the word of the Lord this morning. Everyone read. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we just come to You in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we are so thoroughly blessed by You, by Your presence, by Your grace, by Your goodness. Lord, I just pray for every family, God, every family that is on our, our online campus, every family that's a part of Summit Church, no matter what, where they're at or what level of spiritual walk they're at or what's going on in their life, I just pray right now that you'll reach down into their family, put your hand 
on their family, God, and never remove it, God. Just put your hand of blessing on their family, God. Protect them and provide for them and minister to them and lead them and guide them and hold them and cover them and bless them, Lord, in Jesus' name. And Heavenly Father, let our minds be given to you, our hearts be given to you. Let us love you, Lord, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to surrender our lives to your will and to your purpose. Help us to walk that Christ-centered walk, Heavenly Father, where you are, you are the filter through which we see, the filter through which we act, the filter through which we do. God, in Jesus' name, help us, Heavenly Father, to bear the fruit of your Spirit and manifest the, the gifts of your Spirit, God, in Jesus' name. And help us, Heavenly Father, to be good spouses and raise great children. Help us, Heavenly Father, to affect our community, our neighborhood, our churches, our world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, family is an interesting thing. Um, and I think sometimes that we need to take, uh, from a biblical perspective, we need to look at what fa- the reality of family in the Bible, because I think sometimes when we read over scriptures, we just read them very simply. Like, for instance, that that scripture that we just read, that text, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Well, you can see that in Christian homes all over the world. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And sometimes we don't consider the whole context of that scripture, the fact that that Joshua had been a leader in the ch- to the children of Israel for all of these years, and and he had led them into the promise, and God had blessed them so much. But here he was again having to challenge the children of Israel. Don't follow idols. Don't follow after those things, but follow God. Um, it's an interesting thing when you put something in context. And, 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 so, and so the truth is, when we look at family, we need to get a whole picture contextually, not just of how we see it in today's culture, but we need to see it from a biblical perspective. And one of the ways to do that is to search and research all of the scriptures that we can find that have to do with uh, family, but also we can look at family in the Bible. Now, I tell you what's interesting to me about family in the Bible, and and, and one of the things I love about the Bible is it doesn't leave the junk out. (laughs) I think that's one of the reasons you can believe the Bible, because if this book was just to convince you to follow a certain belief system you would think that the only thing that it would put in here is just all the good stuff, all the blessings, all the good stuff, all the great stuff. But it gives us a clear picture of humanity. It gives us a clear picture of sin. It gives us a clear picture of what humans look like without God and what we need. And that's why he sent his son and so on and so forth. And so even the people who were followers of him, when they messed up or when they did things wrong or when they did when they were negative and not positive they 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 went in the direction of the flesh and not of the spirit it tells it because what the word is trying to do is give us the inspired understanding that without god we are in trouble but with god and with the relationship of with the father god through jesus christ his son by the power of his holy spirit everything can change in our lives but i love the picture that we get of family in the Bible, because it doesn't just give you this pristine picture of this is how family should be. It gives us a picture of this is how family really is and what we need to do to work through it. I mean, take, for instance, the family of our Savior. You know, a lot of times we don't think about Jesus' family. We think about Jesus being the Son of God. We think about the virgin birth, but that's literally about all the context we give for Jesus in His human family. But 
you realize that Jesus had brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters. He had Joseph and Mary had many other kids besides Jesus who God, uh, Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit for Jesus. And, and so Joseph was kind of an adoptive father to Jesus, a stepdad, if you will. And uh, he ministered to Jesus. And somewhere along the way, Jesus faced the loss of his earthly dad. He faced the loss of his dad who he trusted and who had confidence in, who was such a good man. If you go back and really study the life of Joseph, what a great man he was. But sometime between his 12th birthday and the crucifixion resurrection, Joseph passed away because obviously he's not mentioned. We don't hear of him again. And so he faced the loss. Sometimes in family we face losses. But when Jesus had grown up in his family and he'd gotten to be about 30 years and he went and was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist and he started his ministry, some unusual things began to happen. Now, I don't know if he hadn't revealed himself to his family up until that point, and maybe this was all new to them as well, but when he started doing miracles, when he started preaching in ways that astonished people, when he started healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out devils and drawing all this attention to himself, it kind of flipped his family out. I mean, there's one text where uh, Jesus is teaching and people are all surrounding him and his family come and they literally are coming to get him and take him home because they think he's lost his mind. They think he's gone crazy. Who is, what is he doing? They saw him as just their little brother. They saw him, I mean, just their older brother. They thought, what is wrong with him? Why is he acting like this? Why is he affecting all this? And the truth is, the truth is that Jesus understood and knew what he was doing, but his family did not understand him. They didn't get him. Now think about that. You're Jesus. You're the son of the living God. You have a mission and a purpose, and your earthly family literally calling you crazy. And you know, sometimes in life when you get purpose, when you get destiny on your heart, and you, you start defining and, and understanding the will of God for you, sometimes even the closest people to you just don't get it. I mean, sometimes we can be most discouraged by the people who love us the most, not because they're trying to mess our lives up in any way, but simply because they don't get it. And they love us, and they don't want us to embarrass ourselves or embarrass the family. They don't want us to do something that's outlandish or foolish. And to them, what Jesus was doing looked that way. They just thought he, he's lost it. And, and there was one point that they came to get him and they said, hey, Jesus, your family wants to talk to you. And he said, my family are the ones who do the will of the Father. It's, it's, it's these disciples around me. That's my family. Uh, he was saying, not that I've disowned my physical family, but he was saying, right now what's important is that I surround myself with people who get this, who follow this, who obey this. And it's, it's interesting to see that context of Jesus' family, that even Jesus, the Son of God, had these issues, these upsets, these misunderstandings in his own family. I mean, the, the book of James, the apostle James, who, uh, uh, who wrote the book of James at the end of the New Testament, that was Jesus' brother. And James was a, a major force in the church at Jerusalem. But it took Jesus' death burial, and resurrection for James to be converted. It was up to that point that he still didn't understand or know or realize or comprehend who his brother was. It's interesting how family 
is great and it's awesome and it's so encouraging, can be so strengthening, but at the same time, it can be very hard. You know, family's not always easy. It's definitely not perfect. And it's mostly not perfect because it's imperfect people in very close relational proximity trying to get along. Now, even if you're family, there's a lot of differences in family. Every, all of our family's not the same. Like, Janae is way different from me in a lot of ways. She's, she thinks different on certain things. She, she approaches things differently. Her personality is different. I think that's, that's why we fit so well together, because she is so different to me. She's juxtaposed to me. She balances me. She anchors me. I think, it, I think it's wonderful. And I give flight to, her, to dreams. I, get, I, I, I affect her in a way that causes her to dream and causes her to think bigger than uh, uh, what she would have normally thought. And, and, and our kids, our kids are totally different from one another. If you're a parent, you get this. You can have one kid and, and, and they're a certain way and, and then you have that second kid and <laughs> it's like they're nothing like the first kid. Handling them is totally different. The discipline you have to use is totally different. The way they approach things is totally different. Like my oldest daughter, Taylor, she's bold and strong and headstrong and moving forward and all of this. And, and I mean, to discipline her, it was like, just really had to get stern and sometimes there had to be punishment and things of that nature to get her attention my younger daughter Sydney I could just look at her sternly and tears would start rolling down her face I'm telling you it's a totally different deal and and, and then our kids are different from us and sometimes that's hard to deal with parents because we want our kids to mirror us we want our kids to reflect us we want to look at our kids and see ourselves in our kids and in a lot of ways we can but they are a lot different than us, and hallelujah for that. We don't need a bunch of duplicates running around. God has created every single one of us uniquely, and he's given us the responsibility to lead and direct and encourage and partner with one another to build faith, to build strength, to build purpose in lives. But when you get people who are that different together in close relational proximity and then want them to get along day in and day out, there can be some challenges with that. There's misunderstanding. There's there's um, irritations, there's, you know, each, each person has their own idiosyncrasies that the other people don't necessarily appreciate. I mean, it's just an interesting dynamic. But if you really look at the family, what you see is this opportunity to grow. You, you see this opportunity to be strengthened. You see this opportunity to have someone in your corner that can help knock the rough edges off of you just by being in relationship with them because they're the closest to you. And they're going to say things not even knowing it that'll correct you and and will help you I mean I've had many times where my daughters would say something to me in the throes of an intense season and it would shock me into attention it would it would cause me to stop what I remember one time Janae and I when we were a lot younger and Taylor was probably seven years old we were really getting an intense discussion I mean it was intense and she was standing here I don't even think we really really knew she was standing right there and we were just talking back and forth, but you and this, and then no, you don't understand, and then you, and then you know how you do when you're trying to figure things out, you get intense with one another, and, and, and then at the same time, Taylor reached up and grabbed our hands and said, just stop fighting, and it was so, it was so uh, a rude awakening that it shocked us, and you know what it did? It caused us to see ourselves in that moment through her eyes. And, you know, that's one of the most powerful things about family is it gives you a different perspective when you learn to listen to one another, you learn to work together, you learn to love one another. 
You know, Paul gives us clear direction on how to give hope to the family. You know, we know that the enemy has a very intense attack and he wants to divide the family. He wants to harm the family. He wants to hinder and hurt the family. But you need to always remember this. God wants to redeem us and He wants to use our family for kingdom purpose. He wants to join families to the greater family of God and see them flourish. Here's the thing we have to remember. God has a purpose for family. And remember that purpose for family is that we would disseminate the message and the plan and the purpose of God generationally down through the ages. That's the goal for family. That's not the goal for the church. The church is that gathering point of all those who have been called out and to equip and to empower them to continue to do what their original purpose and calling was, to disseminate the gospel, the word of God, the purpose of God, generation to generation to generation. And if that's what God's trying to do, you can better believe that the enemy is going to do everything he can to stop that because he realizes that's where influence lies. When we can figure out that that's how we can influence our society and influence our culture and influence our neighbors and influence our friends is by creating that culture in our home. You know, I, I can imagine, you know, Jesus, when he said, this is how men will know that you, that you follow me, that you're followers of Christ if you love one another. Well, if that's true for the church, it's true for the believers. He was talking about all believers, all followers of Christ. If that's true for an, in an overall sense, how much more is that true for your family? You know, you've got neighbors who don't follow Christ, but when they look at your family and they see you go through things and they become friends with you and they see how you do things and they see the love and, and the, the way that you respond to your kids and the way they respond to you and the way you as spouses work together and, and you try to produce the fruit of the Spirit, I'm telling you, when they see that, it's the love in that that makes them go, man, what's different about them? And ultimately they realize it's, it's, it's Christ. They follow Jesus. You know, there's hope for the family to reach its potential for the kingdom of God because there's always hope in Jesus. Now, I realize we're not, we're not expecting the world to act like the church. But let me just say this. We're also not expecting the church to act like the world. In other words, there's a spirit in the world. There's an attitude in the world. There's a carnality to the world, a fleshliness, a sinfulness. And uh, we, we're not expecting people who don't know Jesus, who haven't been regenerated, who haven't been born again, to act like they are. And sometimes it, it baffles me how we as the church look out into the community and we say, well, I can't believe they do this and do that. What do you mean you can't believe it? They don't know Christ. They haven't been regenerate. Why is it surprising to us that people who are not following Jesus and who live in a sinful world are sinful? It shocks me that we make judgments on that instead of saying, how can I reach them? How can I influence them? And, and, and at the same time, however, I, I think that we need to ex also acknowledge that we don't expect believers or followers of Christ to act like the spirit of the world. We don't, we don't expect uh, 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 families who love Jesus to behave in ways like families who don't love Jesus. It's very interesting to me. So how do we affect the world then? How do we influence the world? Well, a very prominent uh, discipleship leader named Winky Prattney years ago, made a statement that was in a really thick book. And to be honest, I liked the book. It wasn't the greatest book I'd ever written, but there was a phrase in it that stung me and stood out to me. And here's what it said. He said, you can never change the world by conforming to it. And I feel like a lot of us as believers, we have 
somehow convinced ourselves that the more like them we are, that more we can reach them. But the truth is, we have to stand out. We have to let our light shine. We can't take on the darkness and influence the darkness. The only way to influence darkness is to be light. And so even though we live in this world, we are not like this world. Even though we are faced with all of the pressures of conforming to this world, we are not conforming this to the world because we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are going to be light in darkness. So what's the most effective way to influence, light, uh, influence darkness? Turn on the light. So how do I influence culture that is so broken down, so immoral, so rejecting of God? How do I do that without getting loud and without demanding my rights and without yelling the truth? You do it by creating this hope for family in your own family and creating hope for family through the church. And in that way, our families influence other families that influence other families that influence other families. And we win people. We bring people out of darkness into the light. It's very important that we get this. And we need to understand that no matter what the attack is, no matter what the world is like, no matter what the culture is, we don't have to partake of that. We don't have to be like that, but we can stand up in the righteousness of the Word of God. We can stand up by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can stand up in the gifts and grace of God and live the life that God has purposed for us to live. And when that light shines through us, it is an amazing thing how it affects the people around us. So if we want to affect the culture, we just need to develop into the best shining light that we can possibly be. And that is not an absent light or a silent light. It's a light that gets right in the middle of things and shines in vibrant and impacting ways. And the way we do that is by raising families. You know, uh, I may get this wrong and I may have to paraphrase it just a little bit, but um, Barbara Bush uh, had made a statement one day and it said, it said something to the effect of the success of our nation doesn't depend on what happens in the White House. It depends on what happens in your house. And I agree with that 100%, and I want to put a little spiritual spin on it. The winning of this nation, the changing of our culture, doesn't depend on what happens in the White House. It doesn't depend on what happens in Congress. It doesn't depend on what happens in local governments. It doesn't depend on what popular culture says. It depends on what happens in our homes and how much we allow that darkness into our homes or how much we chase that darkness out of our homes. Do you get what I'm saying? I hope you understand what I'm saying, that that, that is our role here. That is the purpose of God for us as family. And there is hope for family. You don't have to be defeated. You don't have to be overcome by culture. You don't have to be overwhelmed because there is hope, because there's always hope in Jesus. So here's what I want to do today. I want to look at the hope for the family by using the word hope as an acronym and so that we can better understand why we can have hope and that our family will make it and we have the opportunity to reach our spiritual potential. So let's look at four characteristics of Christ-following families, taking the word hope as an acronym. Let's start with the first one, hope, H. Well, we'll just go ahead and take the word hopeful. We want to be hopeful. In other words, we're looking to the future with a sense of expectancy. You know, I found that a lot of us are so caught up in the present. We're so caught up in the moment. We're dealing with all the activities that are happening right now in our life that we give very little thought to the future. 
And even with our kids, the farthest we think out is is college. Are they going to make it to college? Are they going to get an occupation? Are they going to be vocational? What is it they're going to do? And that's about as far as we go. But you know, really, we should be thinking not just of our kids, but of their kids and their kids beyond them and their kids beyond them. And we should be thinking, what are we leaving them, not just in the sense of our family personally, but what are we leaving them generationally as a nation? What are we leaving them generationally as believers, as followers of Christ? We need to be hopeful and looking to the future with a sense of expectancy. You know, God has given us promises. He's given us His whole Word. And, he, and, and as we read the Word, as we study the Word, we can see He has a purpose for our, our, our future. I, I love Jeremiah 29, 11 that so many people quote, but I, I love the context of it in its original context, but I love how it can apply to us as well. That God has thoughts for us, thoughts of hope and a future and not of harm. I, I, I really believe that some of us just need to change the way we're thinking about family. We need to stop thinking, oh, I hope I don't get a divorce. Oh, I hope that our family doesn't fall apart. Oh, I hope my kids don't go off the rail. No, we need to start having this positive expectancy of what God can do in our families if we follow Him and know that He's going to come through with what He said He would come through if we follow Him. I mean, look at Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were given this promise that they would have a son and you know all the mistakes they made leading up to that but they 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 just couldn't get their mind around it at first i mean i'm uh, you know they were so old and how are we going to have a son but the god said i made a promise to you abraham and i i'm going to make great nation out of you that's innumerable and now we know that israel as they grew and went through their history they became a great nation and were innumerable but the thing that makes them completely innumerable and like what God gave the vision to Abraham he said look up at the sky see the stars in the sky he said you can't count them that's how I'm going to make your seed and I'm going to bring a great king through your seed I'm going to affect the world well Galatians tells us is when we become Christians and we follow Christ then we are grafted into the family of the Jews a family of God and and the promises that God gave them he gave to us and the, and the responsibilities that he gave him, he gave to us. And that's why you can look at the family of God and say, wow, God kept his promise to Abraham. But there were times that those promises were challenged. There were times that Abraham and Sarah, just by the passing of time, didn't think it was going to happen for them. They didn't think God was going to come through. They thought they tried to even make it happen on their own because it was taking so long. And sometimes that's how we feel. We feel like we're desperate. We feel like we don't know what to do. We feel like what's going to happen. But sometimes if you're going to succeed spiritually, you've got to consistently follow Jesus. You've got to consistently uh, continue to work your values. You've got to consistently live that life. And you may do all of that without seeing a lot of results, but later you will be so glad that you stayed with it and that you didn't give up because God does not lie. And whatever promises He makes you in, his li- in this life through His Word, I'm telling you right now, He will bring them to pass. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 in the NIV. It says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered Him faithful who had made the promise. Listen, our God is faithful. Are you hearing me today? Our God is faithful. If you want to know why there's hope, just start thinking about who God is. If you want to know why God, why there is hope, just think about what Jesus did for, for the children of Israel, what God, Yahweh, did for the children of Israel 
in the Old Testament, how he, he brought all the plagues on Egypt and set them free, how he fed them in the wilderness, how he brought water out of a rock and food from the sky. Uh, just think about how God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider, or Jehovah Sid Canoe, our righteousness, or Jehovah Shammah, our present God, or Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Uh, just think about how God is the, the, the everlasting Father. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is first and last. He is, uh, uh, he is, He was, and He forever will be. We need to understand that's who God is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You'll never meet anyone more consistent. You'll never experience anyone more constant. God is faithful. And if He says He will do something, He will do it. Now, sometimes we don't appreciate that it happens in times that are not favorable to us. In other words, we thought it should happen now, but God has perfect timing, and He does things in His timing, and that's when we need it to happen for us. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how many... Uh, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, or some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, what are you expecting from God for your family? How often are you praying and saying, God, I'm believing you to do this for my son. I'm believing you to move on behalf of my, my husband. I'm believing you to do this in my daughter's life. I'm believing. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. My daughters will have the right spouse. Do you know why? Because I have been praying and believing and expecting since the day they were born that they would find the right person. My oldest daughter has absolutely found the right person. If you think and you look at the, the relationship between Taylor and Connor, you, you can't imagine how they actually found each other, how they actually came together. But because it could have been that Taylor stayed in Oklahoma. It could have been that Connor never came up to Canyon from Matador. It could have been that that never happened. But it was divinely appointed because when she was born, I began to pray, God, bring the right people into her life. Bring the right mate into her life. Now, I'm just telling you right now, God knows what He's doing. And when we pray and have an expectation, we know that God will do what he said, and it brings blessing after blessing. What are you expecting from God for your family? Are you hopeful in your family? Because there's always hope when God is around. What, what has He promised you? What do you believe He's promised you? And do you believe that He's faithful to do what He said? The second thing I think that we need to look at is the O in hope, one, or oneness. You know, it's very important that we understand unity of purpose. You know, I don't believe that unity is about sameness. I believe it's about oneness. I, I think a lot of times we, we interpret unity as being everybody being the same, a duplicates of one another. We've got to think the same, we've got to act the same, we've got to be the same, we've got to do the same, we've got to look the same. And that's really not what it's talking about. It's, it's about unity is about the idea of knowing what our vision and purpose is and and surround it, bringing all of our individual unique gifts, talents, and abilities to serve that, to serve the family, to serve the purpose, to serve the vision. 
We, we need that oneness, that univ- some people call it complementary oneness. In other words, we complement each other. We don't stand apart. We're not the same as, but we complement. We bring what, who we are to the table and we match it with who someone else is in our family and we fulfill the purpose of God for our life. And this is what causes us to be bonded together for God's will for our family. You know, I, I think a lot of times we don't look at what happened when Jesus called the disciples. It was, a, it was a very honorable thing to be called by a rabbi, but most children were called by rabbis when they were very young. So it was, so it was very crazy for these you know, 17, 18, 19, even up to 30-year-olds to be called by a rabbi out of the blue. And God, Jesus, He knew, he knew exactly what He wanted to to who he wanted to call. He knew he wanted on his team. And they weren't perfect men, but they were the right people for the time. And um, it always has amazed me how um, we see the bravery and the courage of the disciples. So Jesus shows up on the shore. He pre- he's preaching. And then he turns to Simon and Andrew, and he does the same thing to James and John, who are fishermen. And he's preaching, and he's doing this story. He has this authority. They, they've heard the stories about what, He's able to do, and he says, follow me. He just he turns around, and he just gives them this commandment, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He just says this. I mean, who would just drop everything they're doing and follow this? It was a divine moment. It was a divine connection. They trusted who he was. They had seen what he could do, and they wanted to follow him. They wanted, because they knew that if you say, I'm following a rabbi, that meant for the next several years you were giving your life Total surrender to the teachings and the leadership of that rabbi. And so they were like, I'm up for it. But you know, you have to understand something. They were fishermen. They weren't just fishermen, but their families were in that occupation. It was an industry, and it was a major industry at the time. So you have to understand, their dads were sitting there with them. Who, Their dads obviously running the business, obviously caring about this business. And their sons, who were helping them, work in that business who they probably thought our sons are going to grow up and they're going to take over this business and this is what they're going to do for their lives and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he says follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and his their sons Simon and Andrew and James and John they just drop the nets and they just follow Jesus they just quit they quit the family business and follow Jesus now Now, because I know the Bible tells the whole story and gives you examples of the negatives, it infers then that these fathers who wanted their sons to follow in their footsteps, that they were in agreement with their sons to follow Christ. Now, now think about that. They got behind the vision of following Jesus instead of taking on the family business. They didn't gripe, they didn't complain. Nothing is mentioned in the Bible about the fathers going, hey, wait a minute, hold on, what are you doing? Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20 in the NIV. It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, his brother, Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And once they left their, at once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone a little farther He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired men and followed him. Now, 
I don't know about you, but if I didn't agree and I didn't want my sons to leave the family business and go follow this, this teacher, I think I would have stood up, stood up and said something. I would have been like, hey, hold on a minute, fellas. I mean, you're going to leave me with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have nobody to leave this business to except hired hands. It's gonna, we're going to lose it in the family. I think there could have been all kinds of debate, all kinds of argument, but for some reason, they did not. They didn't resist. They didn't argue. They didn't come against. There was nothing. They just simply let it happen. Why? Because of oneness. Because something about what was happening in that moment was divine. Something about what was going on in their life was right. And their fathers wanting the best for them and being in one with them had the same vision. It is right for you to follow Christ and released them without fail. I think it's an amazing thing. We need to understand that in our families. That the highest calling for each one of us, spouses and children and, and moms and dads and boys and girls and grandparents and aunts and uncles and everybody in the family construct, it's important for us to realize that there is no higher thing in our lives than the purpose of God. And so when the purpose of God is being fulfilled in our family, we all get behind it. We all unify around it. We don't allow our, our bonding to be around other things, but around the purpose of God. Other things are great, but they're not the purpose of God. So what is the purpose of God? And we release one another into that purpose, and we take our whole family into that purpose. The third thing is the P in hope, and this is going to sound weird because I know your mind could immediately go to so many different things you're thinking, but it's very important that I give this one, and that is Pentecostal. Pentecostal, that's a denomination. You're thinking right now of certain images in your mind. You're thinking of, of, of out-of-control things. You're thinking of overly emotional things. But, but Pentecostal is not that. Pentecostal literally uh, it is, it was a feast that the, the Jews celebrated, but on the day of Pentecost, God sent the power of the Holy Spirit to the apostles and to all those that followed Christ who were praying in the upper room and it began the building of the church in the New Testament. And so when I think of the word Pentecostal, I think of the word being spirit-filled and being spirit-led. I think of the power of Pentecost, or the power of the Holy Spirit. That word power, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. That word Power is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. It means to be explosive. It means to be powerful. It means to make an impact or make an effect on something. It means to do something strong and mighty. And that is exactly what we need. And and that is exactly why we can have hope for family. Because we're spirit-filled and spirit-led. And listen, if if you're not full of the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you right now to pray and seek God and say, God, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit. I know you. I'm in relationship with you, but I want all of what you have for me. I want you to flood my life. And you say, well, you know, is it just a one-time thing? No, we look at the Bible and the apostles and, and, and 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 the founders of the church and the people of the church would frequently get together when they were afraid of persecution and they would pray and seek the face of God. And again, the power of the Holy Spirit would baptize them and fill them up and 
give them insight and abilities that they would not have otherwise had. We need to be Pentecostal. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be manifest in our life and the fruit of the Holy Spirit to be born in our life. We need to say, God, everything you want for me, I want for me. Everything you want to do for my family, I want you to do for my family. I want the power of the Holy Spirit to use me to heal people and to, to, to affect lives and to affect change. And I want the gifts of the Spirit working in and through me so that people's lives will be changed so our family will be changed. I can't tell you the times that I've been led by the Holy Spirit and couldn't even explain why I made the decision that I made. But I knew it was God and it saved our family or it affected our family in a powerful way. I can't tell you the times that I've laid my hands on my own children who were sick and prayed for them and the power of God move in their life. I can't tell you the times my children have prayed for me and the power of God moved in our life. I I can just say this, before we were even going all over the world to any great degree and we had just started I remember one night I was in Sydney's bedroom and she wanted to pray and we started praying and and as we were praying she sat up in the bed and she said dad I I, I need to explain something to you and I said what I mean she was just a little kid I mean just small and she said I just saw the world and I saw the globe and it was like I was looking from space and then there was a light coming from us, and it was just going all over the globe. These strands of light were leaving us and going all over the globe. And she said, I just want to pray right now that everyone who's sick in the world will be healed. And my first response was, that's a ridiculous prayer. How is, how, you know, is that really going to happen? But then the Holy Spirit checked me and said, do not, do not quench the power of God in her life to believe for what she wants to believe for. Listen, that's what we want. We want the power of God working in our kids. We want the power of God working in our spouse. We want the power of God working in us. You, you, can't, you can't understand what to do next. You don't know what decisions to make. That's when you need to rely on the power and manifestation of words of wisdom and prophetic words in your life and the Word of God inspired and explained to you and interpreted to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to just be anemic in my Christianity. I don't want to hope that my little prayer does. I want to know that if the enemy attacks my family, I can stand up in the power of the Holy Spirit and thwart his attacks. I want my kids to know that if they come to me for prayer, we're going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you. We can have hope because we don't just walk this life and are affected by all of its experiences. We have the power of God at at our disposal, in our lives, and He wants to do great things in you. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 in the NIV says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the the fourth and last thing is this. I think we need to be excited. I think we need to not be just surviving in our families. I think we need to be thriving. I think we need to make up our minds that God has a purpose for our family. That God wants great things for our family. That God has empowered us to have purpose in our family. And we need to be excited about that. Listen, I don't want my kids, I don't want my spouse to not do well in life or to just survive in life and not thrive because what they see in me is this anemic Christian who barely gets by and is always defeated by circumstances and always down. No, I want them to know that I'm excited about life when I get up in the morning and I go to bed at night, that I'm excited about what God can do in my life. I want to be enthused about what is and what can be. 
I don't want to be down and defeated, but I want to be up and victorious. I'm not saying being perfect, but I'm saying being perfected. You know, Psalms 122 verse 1 says this, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Some translations say, I was glad. I rejoiced. Rejoice is this very active word. In some places in the Bible, rejoice literally means to spin around and shout wildly, dancing and praising the Lord. I I, I think that that is the way our life should be. We should be just so filled with the presence of God. You know, we get that word enthusiastic from the word entheos. It means to be in God. In other words, when you're in God, your life is up. Your life is exciting. Yeah, troubles come. Yeah, problems exist, but it doesn't change because our hope isn't in what's going to happen with the natural circumstances of our problems and issues. Our hope is in the Savior of the world. Our hope is in the one in John chapter 16, verse 33, who said, in the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Rejoice. It's an inward joy that it's expressed in outward celebration. God gives us hope for family. And when there are so many things trying to divide us, minimize its importance, or redefine its purpose, God gives us hope that we can have a family touched by His hand. We can reach the God-given potential that is placed on us. We can live a life filled with exuberance. We can rejoice in our family and our family of faith as we live for the King and the Kingdom. So I just want to close with this. The four characteristics of a family who follow Christ can be summed up in one word. Hope. Hopeful. One. Pentecostal and excited. It's not a time to give up. It's not a time to throw in the towel. It's a time to see the possibilities and put our trust and hope in the power and presence of God and watch Him win the victory for us. Our hope is in Him. Not our education. Our hope is not in our education. It's not in our abilities. It's not in our talent. It's not in our circumstances. It's not in our excellence or anything else. Our hope is in Christ alone. And that is the hope you have for your family. So don't look at the world and let it defeat you. Don't look at the circumstances and let it overcome you. Don't be overwhelmed by the negatives in our culture today. Don't find yourself screaming and yelling at the dark. Just turn on the light of hope in your family and watch the power of God go to work in your spouse and in your kids and know that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You will see the power and presence of God manifest in the lives of your family as you give them to God, and as you hope in Him for His purpose. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank You right now for Your Word. We thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for Your grace. We just ask You, Lord, in the name of Jesus, to give us hope. Lord, I'm, I'm really praying that right now for every single person uh, on, our, on, our, on our online campus. I'm praying for You to absolutely uh, flood their heart today with hope that positive future expectancy that what you have promised you will perform just like you promised to Abraham and Sarah they would have a seed you gave it to them because they believed that he who promised was faithful to perform what he promised Lord we know that you have promised us in your word that we would have a a, a life 
where our families would follow you if we would surrender to you. And so, Father, right now, we just, I pray that hope will overwhelm people. Lord, people who right now are feeling overwhelmed by circumstances, people who right now are feeling overwhelmed by the negatives in our culture, people who are feeling overwhelmed by the immorality and perversion that's going on in the world, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that hope will fill their hearts and hope will fill their minds and their hope will not be found in the things of this world, but be found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.